Okay, let's let's carry on. Let's let's look at a penitential psalm. Remember, there's seven of them. Let's go to the most famous one, Psalm 51. It's a it's a wonderful psalm because it really gives to use. Use Calvin's term, uh, an anatomy of repentance. <laughs> it gives us a whole, uh, I don't know if it's every aspect of repentance, but certainly the major aspects of repentance. So, what's the context of Psalm 51? Yeah, so David, remember 2 Samuel 11 and 12, David sinned with Bathsheba and had Uriah murdered. And then Nathan confronts him, seems to be quite a few months, maybe even a year or so later. And this is his response. That's why he's a man after after God's own heart. He's not a Saul. He owns his sin. So verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my, my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So he cries out to the Lord for forgiveness and for cleansing. And he acknowledges God's attributes. God is merciful according to your steadfast love. That reminds us of Exodus 34. Remember? Um, God's self-revelation to, to Moses. He's a covenant-keeping God. He's a God who's full of uh, loyalty to his people. Steadfast love. So he owns his sins and he appeals to God's character. Okay, And that's important in our repentance. Okay, so take responsibility. You won't find any buts in this psalm. Okay? You won't say, yes, but what was she doing on the top of the roof? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he owns it for as his sin. Verse 3, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Okay, so very interesting. You... you you could make an argument that David had pretty much sinned against everyone. He had sinned against the nation of Israel, hadn't he? He was the king. He sinned against his parents. Had he sinned against Uriah? Big time. Sinned against Uriah's family. Sinned against Bathsheba. Sinned against her family. But what does he say? Against you and you only have I sinned. So he acknowledges that sin is primarily against God. Okay? And so that is... That is critical for our, sin, our thinking and for our repentance. Sin is primarily against God. Certainly if you sinned against other people, go and ask for forgiveness and try and make restitution. But there are certain sins you can't make restitution. You can't murder someone and try and make restitution, can you? What are you going to do? Um, apart from die, uh, be put to death. Uh, so it's interesting David's not put to death. But that's because God's forgiveness, isn't it? So, uh, he admits that. So, admit, realize that all our sin is primarily against God. Okay. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, what, what do we call that doctrine? 
total depravity. Okay, he's not saying that I was an illegitimate child and my mom was having an affair or something, so I was conceived in sin. He's not saying that. He's saying that from my conception, I was sinful. Okay, so that is the biblical teaching, total depravity. It doesn't mean that we're all as bad as we could be or something like that. It means that every area of our lives and our, of our makeup is affected by sin. So our minds, our faculties, our emotions, our bodies are affected by sin. So it's total. Okay, it's a total uh, effect. So we we are we are we have a sin nature. From the moment we are conceived, we have a sin nature. Okay. But notice he doesn't say, and therefore I couldn't help it. Because, you know, I was conceived in sin and in iniquity. And so, well, what's a sinner going to do? He's going to sin. So it's not really my fault. He doesn't sort of take a, a cop out. Okay. Um, he, he, he holds them both in tension, doesn't he? This is the, tru the truth of me. Uh, I'm totally depraved. I was born sinful conceived in sin and yet I'm responsible okay, and so as I said no buts he doesn't say yes but you're sovereign and you made me like this and so uh, it's, it's not my fault he acknowledges both okay and so that's very important for us as well to acknowledge both okay. is everyone clear on total depravity Okay, verse 6, Behold, you delight in truth and in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So God's desire is for inward holiness, inward change. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. So that's that's his understanding. Purge me with hyssop has... the, the Hyssop would be dipped in blood. Okay, and it has that... Remember the blood put on the doorposts and that okay so it's a reference to sacrifice a blood sacrifice and purification uh, and then he says if you wash me I'll be I'll be clean I'll be whiter than snow okay. if you clean me through a blood sacrifice I will be clean so that points us to Christ doesn't it because later on he's going to say I know sacrifices don't really do anything so is he is there a contradiction uh, no, there's an ultimate sacrifice that is coming that can that can wash him clean. Whether he fully understood that or he's just speaking better than he knew, I, I don't know. But he knew there was a Messiah coming, a Savior who was coming. Okay, so just another thing about translations. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. When translators, Wycliffe translators, get to certain parts of the world, there are people who've never seen snow in their lives. They don't have TV you say, you know what, Jesus can wash you whiter than snow. <laughs> what snow? <laughs> uh, okay. So some, some, in some areas, they will say, they will change this verse to say, whiter than the inside of a coconut. Okay. Because they know that. Then, okay. If you're on the beach and you've never seen snow in your life and you will never see snow. Okay. Now, is that sinful? Have they messed up the word of God? 
No, they've got the meaning across, haven't they? They've got the idiom across. Uh, they've got the uh, th- that picture, and so. Um, well, it's not really, it doesn't make a difference, but snow, is lots of snow in, in Israel, and so it would, would have made... Because you always transfer from the original, you, transfer, you don't transfer from English to Zul. Yeah, you're saying, you know, you, you're asking, how do we know the Hebrew wasn't changed? Is that what you're asking? Okay, I thought, okay, fine, you try, okay, I get that you try to say it from, okay, my Georgie, but still, like, it still would have applied in a sense had we not known our snow, I think. Sorry, I'm not, I'm not really No, I'm saying, you know how you mentioned the example with the coconut? Mm-hmm. So I was asking, how do we know ours, like, the snow wasn't something else? And then, because of our time, or whatever, like it, it would, uh, the snow was a perfect example for that. But then you mentioned that there was a lot of snow then, so it's not like it was yeah. now changed for us or something like that. Like it would have been for people who didn't know of snow. It's like in our language, it's not bread. It's what? What is it? Maize. It's not the bread of life. Okay. Mm. So it's translated from the Hebrew. So the Hebrew had, had mm-hmm. snow. But I thought you were asking, how do we know the Hebrew wasn't something else before that? Oh, no. Okay. Okay, so it carries on. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Okay, so owning his sin, acknowledging the only place he can get for forgiveness and cleansing from is the Lord, because he sinned against him. And that's what we want. We want the joy of the Lord. You want to know that forgiveness, let me hear, sorry, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. And so that's, the picture there is shepherds. It's a shepherding picture. If you had a sheep that continually wandered away, then the shepherd would actually break its leg. Okay, So he would take the sheep and break its leg, and then he would bandage it all up and put a splint, and then carry it until the leg was healed. Okay, so that obviously it's hopefully it will learn its lesson. Okay. Um, well, you've got loads of sheep. Uh, okay, so that's the the imagery there. So now uh, that's what God does to us. It's a hiding. Okay. He breaks our legs if we keep wandering from the path. In His love for us, He breaks our legs. Uh, he breaks our bones. That's. You understand I'm speaking metaphorically. Sometimes he will break our, <laughs> our bones, literally, <laughs> uh, if we need it. But um, uh, it's because he loves us. He doesn't want you to keep going off the path. That's his, it's a sign that you're a child, that he does that. If he just lets you go, then you're a goat. Okay? You're not a sheep. Um, it's, it's not enjoyable, certainly. Hebrews 12 says that it's not enjoyable at the time. But it, if you let it produce a peaceable fruit, then it's... It's good. So that's what the Lord has done to David. David, you've sinned grievously. And from the other penitential psalms, we get an insight into the emotional t- turmoil and 
the guilt and all the consequences of living with sin uh, and how your mind stops working properly and all of these things uh, that David experiences. So it's it's a it's a it's a graphic picture of God's chastening love. Okay. Now it's interesting that uh, whose bones are not broken? Christ. The Lord's. Remember that. Eh? How did they normally, if they wanted people to die quickly, what did they do? Break their shins. Yeah. Okay. Because you 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 suffocate to death on the cross, so you have to to try and breathe. You have to lift yourself up and breathe. And slowly, because you're not, you can't exhale properly. Your lungs fill up with water. Okay, so what they do is they smash the shins, so you you can't lift yourself up. So you kind of breathe, and you die more quickly. But when they get to Christ, he's already dead. Okay, and they pierce his side to make sure, but they don't break his bones because he never sinned. Okay, and remember the uh, a sacrificial lamb. We saw this in in the law. If you're going to offer a sacrifice, it must be you must make sure no bones were ever broken, okay, on the on the lamb. But David's bones have been broken, and our bones have been broken because of our sin. Uh, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your holy spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Okay, so even as a child of God, we pray, Creator, clean heart within me. That's a continual prayer. It's not just, oh, it's salvation, I've got a clean heart. And I'm, we, we get contaminated. We want the Lord to clean our hearts every day, renew our hearts, okay, our love for Him. And then, verse 13, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Okay, and so the Lord's, Lord's restoration, the Lord's forgiveness, and joy, and he's able then to to tell others about the about the Lord and be useful for the kingdom. Okay, so uh, verse 16: For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Okay, so that's ultimately what the Lord is looking for. wants us to have broken hearts before him because of our sin and we come to him uh, we acknowledge him as the only one who can forgive and restore joy and clean our hearts and make us useful again okay, so it's a fantastic psalm and so familiarize yourself with it it's very important because we, we, we sin and the better we know what repentance <coughs> looks like and the elements of it the more helpful it will be any questions about that song? Yes. There's just something that you said like at the beginning of it about the fact that David should while he So I'm just trying to stand up because I'm assuming that I'm assuming that his sin was public at some point. Wasn't it? it public knowledge to the to Israel. I mean he, at least after he wrote this or something, right? Yeah, well it certainly would have been public, yeah. So what would have been the justification against be of by like the priests or whoever to say, well, the law says this guy needs to be killed. I'm trying to understand just the, the place of justice versus God's yeah. uh, mercy and when do we know to apply mercy, even though the law still says this man needs to be killed. I don't know. 
there certainly seems to be a lot more leniency later on in the Old Testament. So they're breaking the Sabbath all over, <coughs> over the place when you get to the prophets in the post-exilic period, but they're not putting anyone to death. Um, and the Lord doesn't seem to... He's upset that they're breaking the Sabbath, and so they, they, they do things. They, they, they put restraints there, they close the doors and things like that. But... I don't know, I can't give you an answer. But, um, I suppose it's case by case. And um, So sometimes with my kids, then I'll, I'll, they should get a hiding, and then I'll, I'll, take, I'll tell them to go to the room expecting a hiding, and then I'll say, I'm not going to give you a hiding to display to them what grace is and explain, try and explain it to them. And so I'll do that from time to time and then point out, you know, that Christ suffered so that we don't have to uh, ultimately suffer. So it's a little picture. Um, but I don't know. It's because I'm, I'm studying it for Sunday as well. And so I think it's just, it's just because of Christ ultimately. I, uh, but I don't know what the... Or how, how their priests would have answered that, or if somebody had raised that. Um, because the law still stood at that time. I mean, mm. it was just yeah. <coughs> but the law was the same for the king. Wouldn't have made a difference. No, he should have died. That took I mean, even, even there, there are two people involved there. Because Job got the letter from him. He's also responsible. He should have listened to God first, then to David. So, in a sense, it's also. He was told to send. Joab. Joab. He was told to send that guy to the heat of the battle. But in terms of authority, we listen to God. <coughs> For instance, if, if the president said we should kill people. We should definitely listen to God more than we listen to Him. So in a sense, He's also responsible. And you've got two people who are responsible. Then how do you deal with that? You kill them both? So oh, yeah. the same. Oh, I was talking more about the adultery. Oh. Not necessarily the killing. Oh, okay. The adultery was what was Also a death sentence, yeah. yeah. A death sentence. Both of them, yeah. So He's... Yeah. Um, it's... It's... Well... It's a passage in Romans, huh? God looked over sins, our sins, because of Christ. So. Okay, so let's look at a lament. We're going to go to the the darkest psalm, Psalm 88. So, 88 verse 1, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. So, I'm just going to read a few verses so you get the idea of where this this person is uh, emotionally. For my soul is full of troubles and my, my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead. 
like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave, or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness, or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. The end. There's no like happily ever after or... That's it. That's how it ends, okay? So, all every other lament in the Bible will end with an act of confident trust in the Lord. Okay? So here I'm experiencing this hardship and difficulties and persecution and all of the things you find there, but then they'll end, but I'll trust in you. And you are good and you will remember me and you will save me. But Psalm 88 is the only one that just ends like that. And with my only friend is darkness. Okay, that's where Simon and Garfunkel, the darkness, my old friend, comes from. Okay, so now it's important. There's only one, but there is one. Okay, <laughs> so it's not. There's only one, so it's not the the the. It shouldn't be the tenor. It's not the tenor of the Christian life. Okay, but there is one, so that it may well be that you and I go through experiences like this. Where, the, where your prayers end with my only friend is darkness. Okay. Um, and so this is very reminiscent. Very even the language is is those who are suffering severe depression, isn't that right? It's that they feel like they're in a black pit. Okay, and um, this is tremendously encouraging to know that it's not. It's not, oh well, you, you're not a Christian if that's your experience, okay? Um, uh, it's always always be careful of falling into sort of self-pity. So there's some people who actually get proud of being depressed, you know, like they have some sort of inner track on being close to God, okay? Um, and that's 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 nonsense, okay? So don't, don't because you're sinning. If you're starting to think, then you're actually enjoying it. It's a pity party, okay? Um, so don't 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 fall into that. Um, and as I said, all the others they they come out, and this this is hopeful because who's the who's he talking to? The Lord. So it's an it's an act of faith. What is what is what is the cause of all these causes? It doesn't. Uh, well, it is. 
Most of the Psalms are like that. We don't know exactly specific details. Remember, it's dealing, it's this poetry, so it's dealing more with the actual emotional feeling okay, of what you go through when you... So, oftentimes we don't know who the enemies are. Okay, But that's not important, because we all know the feeling of having enemies. Okay, But sometimes you get that... For instance, sometimes there will be a single verse on repentance, or when that the person is repenting, or something like that. But here... Unless I did not read it carefully. Could it be like Job? Like, I mean, the book of Job. But this isn't a penitential psalm. Yeah. So it's not about, this is a lament. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's no repentance. This is the Lord, why? What's what's happening? Yeah, it's, it's more like Job. Um, but I'm just going here because this is the darkest of all of the psalms because it doesn't end with, mm. but I'll trust in you. Okay, so... Um, just to just to so that you know it's here, so that you know how to deal, that you are more gracious perhaps with people who are going through this, and if you ever have to walk through this valley, that you won't be totally overwhelmed. You will know that this is a part of the Christian life. Okay, that God does call His saints to to this. Now. The beautiful thing about this psalm is, it's, is that it's in the Bible. Okay? Because if, let's say we sat down here and we said, God, let's make our own religion. Okay? Um, so we'll have a God and we want other people to join it. How would you, how would you, what would you allow into your canon? Would you allow this into your canon? It doesn't make your God look very good, does it? <laughs> okay. Isn't it amazing? Um, it's like those those bio, you know biographies, the the authorized biography. Never buy the authorized biography. What's going to be in the authorized biography? I'm such an amazing person. Uh, <laughs> it's been it's authorized by the person that is is writing about. So if I do a biography on you, then you must you authorize it. But of course, you're going to take out all the stuff where, you know, you do bad stuff and you. Okay, that's how we are because we we full of complexes and we're concerned. But God, God puts us in there. Here's a guy who's saying, "Where are you? You're always against me. I'm in a pit. You never hear me. You never listen to me. My only friend is darkness." And he says, "Fantastic. This is going to be in my Bible." Uh, <laughs> now, isn't that amazing? God is so. Because he's he's not he, he has no inferiority complex. He's not trying to win some competition or popularity prize. He's saying this is an act of faith. Can you see can you see how beautiful this actually is? Who's he talking? He's crying out to me in the morning. He's crying out to me because okay. he's acknowledging the only place I can find hope ultimately, and the only one who can save me is you, Lord. Even if he hasn't reached the place where he's fully believing that. And, and appropriating it. Okay, so I, these sort of things they just blow my mind because I realize how great God is. That He's just not like humans, okay. uh, who we are so full of um, complexes and identity issues. And God is totally free, uh, and He's not He's not trying to win a popularity contest. 
but his, his children will go through these things. And as we saw with Job, it will show to the whole world that he's worth it, no matter how deep and how dark the valley is. Uh, he's still worth it. So, be encouraged. But as I said, don't don't fall into a pattern of it. Okay, because that's also easy. As I said, we we can get a perverse sort of pleasure out of self pity. Um, Psalm seventy three quickly is another a very helpful one because it's also similar. It's about the worship leader Asaph. Uh, he says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So he has the worship leader, and he says, I nearly backslid. Nearly fell away. Why? Because I looked at the prosperity of the wicked, and he goes through, he says, they get fat, and they're not scared when they die, and they, they have lots of money and food and everything, and it goes well for them. And so he wanted to give up, and he said, if I had actually stood up and taught this, I would have damaged the flock. So he didn't teach it, what he was really going through. Um, so it deals with those questions, okay, which we'll all be tempted with to one degree or another. Yeah, I'm trying to serve the Lord, and nothing goes right. And this guy, he's a crook, and a liar, and a thief, and an adulterer, adulterer and fornicator, or whatever, and it's all going well for him. That sense of injustice and, and where is God. But he, he comes to his, mind, his right mind when he goes into the sanctuary. Then I discern their end. Truly you set them in slippery places, this is verse 18, and you make them fall to ruin. So Jonathan Edwards uses this phrase, and sinners in the hands of an angry God, set them in slippery places. So uh, it's a very, very good picture, isn't it? You know when you're walking, if you go hiking and it's a bit wet, the rocks, you don't know when you're going to slip. I mean, it's not as though it's like, whoa. <laughs> it's like you're trying, to, you're trying to balance and then suddenly you just lose your footing. Okay. That's the idea. They, they, that's the wicked. It's all going great and in a moment they'll be gone into hell. They don't know when. It's like the, the, the guys on Everest and there's an earthquake. In a moment they're gone. There they are, climbing the mountain, thinking, I mean, we're on a mountain. <laughs> it's so state, we're on a solid, the biggest mountain in the world. <laughs> Gone. Okay. Um, that's, that's the picture. The wicked, that's the wicked are not in a good place. Don't envy them. And he says there, verse 22, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Okay, have you felt that? You felt all philosophical and wise with these questions and everything, and then afterwards you're like, what an idiot I was. <coughs> uh, I was like an animal. You know, instead of just trusting the Lord, I was like trying to be so clever. And uh, and that's what he said, I was brutish and ignorant, okay? So I felt that frequently. <laughs> uh, then you just think, oh, so stupid. Um, but even in spite of his stupidity, the Lord's always with him. The Lord protects him. And there's, there's these fantastic verses that that uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism uses as proof texts. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. 
my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength or the rock of my heart and my portion forever. Verse 28, But for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Okay. So, rejoice in the Lord. Okay, and uh, it's a fantastic... I love that psalm because it's in the sanctuary. You need, you, when we get, we get with God, then, then we start to see reality. Okay. If you're looking at the world... You're gonna, it's going to affect you negatively. But if you're looking at the Lord, you're going to see, sure, I'm so privileged. I have eternal life. Uh, if I don't have any money, I don't have any health, I don't have anything else, it's fine. I have eternal life. They have everything. They don't have eternal life. And they could, in a moment, they would be, they'd be lost forever. Okay, just in closing, let's look at the most controversial Psalms, the imprecatory Psalms, Psalm 137. Okay, so verse 1, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. So, Boney M song. Uh, it's not original to them, they got it from you. <laughs> from the scripture, yeah. Uh, there's a Psalm 40, is what you two, hey? You two do Psalm 40 at every concert. Um, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. So where are they? Babylon. So in exile. Remember that? 586. So they're out of their land. They remember in Zion. What's Zion? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, the lyres musical instrument. They hang them up because how can you sing? I mean, what's there to sing about? For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Okay, its skill to play the lyre. Okay, so if I stop remembering Jerusalem, may I never play a musical instrument again, and may my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth, may I never sing again. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, Lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Okay. <coughs> so again, I've chosen the most controversial one. <laughs> there are others that are also pretty nasty, but nothing about children. So they'll have, um, may, may, may he wander around and never have any children. May his teeth be smashed in. Things like that. Okay. So they, yeah. So there's these these imprecatory psalms, these curses, and of course, Christians battle with this. How do we? What's going on here? And so one one answer, normally a dispensational answer, is that's an Old Testament ethic, and we have a New Testament ethic, which is much higher. Okay. And so, but. Uh, I don't don't agree with that one at all because you have curses in the New Testament. Okay. Woe to you is a curse. Woe to you Pharisees. Okay. God curses them. The Lord curses them seven times. Okay. Uh, you have. What does Paul say? If anyone preaches another gospel, let him. Which means. 
which means if you were to write a new, new international version, <laughs> let him go to hell. Okay? If anyone preaches another gospel, let him go to hell. Uh, you have curses in Revelation, you have, but these are people giving curses, and we don't have time to go to all the passages. But you have curses, you have imprecations in the New Testament. You have Jesus doing it, you have Paul doing it. So some will say only Jesus can do it, but you also have Paul doing it. Uh, and so, what's going on here? Well, the context here is the children of Israel, when Jerusalem was destroyed, so remember it's 586, Babylonians come around Jerusalem, they besiege them, and all the prophecies are fulfilled. They start to eat each other and, you know, to, to buy a piece of dove's dung costs, you know, 20 pieces of gold or whatever, just to eat dove's dung. Um, some of them escape out of Jerusalem and they flee and they come down to Edom. And who are the Edomites? Esau. Esau. And the Jews are descendants of? Jacob. Israel. So they're brothers. This is, these are brothers. It's family. They flee down here to their family. The Edomites catch them and take them back and give them to hand them over to the Babylonians. Okay? And while the city's being destroyed, what are they shouting? Tear it down, tear it down. They're rejoicing. They're throwing a party when Jerusalem is being destroyed. Okay. So now you get a bit of context. Okay, what's going on here? The imprecatory psalms, though, are never just sort of vindictive, uh, personal anger. Uh, that guy pulled in front of me. I hope he, you know, yeah, his teeth get smashed in. It's not like that. Okay, it's. It's either you're coming against the covenant people of God, okay, or else you're coming against the Lord's anointed, David. Okay? So it's it's much bigger. Okay. On top of that, the smashing of children is what the Babylonians did to the to the Israelites. Okay? And it's prophesied that the, the children of the Babylonians will be smashed in Isaiah. So it's actually praying what God has prophesied will happen. Okay, you see that what's ha what's going on there? When we pray for the Lord to return, we are praying for the destruction of everyone else who's not saved. Okay, but it's good to pray that because we we commanded to to pray for the return of the Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Okay, so we're praying according to prophecy. What God is, He's going to do. He's going to come back, but but pray according to His will. So. Uh, it's not just some vindictive thing. It's always just, and it's an attack on God's covenant people by enemies, and that God will repay them. Okay. Or else it's an attack on the Lord's anointed David, who's a type of Christ. So how, well, how should we go about handling curses? Well, I'd say the same principle. Those who attack the Lord's people. And the way, the primary way of attack in the New Testament is false teaching and people who cause division. Okay. And so that's how I pray and I'll encourage you to pray as well. Don't you want false teachers' mouths to be smashed in? They, they, they stop people from going to heaven. Remember, Jesus said that. You guys don't want to get into the kingdom, but you stop other people from entering. That's why there's all this severe judgment on them. Cults and false teachers, those who break up churches, those... 
pray, God will destroy them. I drive past Jehovah's Witnesses frequently, that one near where Lionel used to stay. And uh, near Cresta. And every time I go past, I pray, Lord, destroy this this cult. Okay? And that's how we should pray, because they, they deceive people, and you will know that they play fast and loose with God's word, and they especially go after uneducated people, who they can deceive with trickery. Uh, remember, Paul says, we, we don't handle the word of God like that if it's open. And it's, it's, it's an open thing. So, pray that. Now, the interesting thing, remember, we've, we've been looking at the Old Testament, and we've seen going in and killing God's enemies. How does that apply to us in the New Testament? Killing sin and, and seeing people being saved. So, here's the wonderful beauty of it. I can pray, Lord, destroy those people. And there's two ways God can destroy them. One of them is through salvation. Do you see that? Because through salvation, he destroys the Amalekite. The old man is an Amalekite or a Canaanite or whateverite. Okay, he's, and when he's converted, the sword of the Spirit comes in, plunges into him, he dies, and he's a new creature. And he's, the old man is put to death, he's slaughtered, he's destroyed. And so the imprecation has worked okay, <laughs> uh, in a wonderful way. And the person is saved. And then the other way is, of course, they could end up in, in hell where they receive justice. So this is not a license then to just go around praying imprecations on people or something. But um, when David says, I hate your enemies with a perfect hatred, that should be our, our lot as well. And yet, this tension of loving them as well. Okay? Love your enemies. Okay? So, and, and it's wonderful because in praying and imprecation, you can actually express both. Because one of the ways God could fulfill that implication is by saving them. Okay. Um, however, it's very rare for false teachers to be saved. Okay. I think they normally, especially false teachers who've come, who've grown up in the church, um, then they're they're trampling underfoot the blood of Christ. So it's it's impossible. But um, the primary focus is on the leaders. But they, 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 they stop people from entering and then if you've ever seen the effect on, on young sheep, it's terrible you know, how they can rattle them and confuse them. And remember Jesus said, if you, if you offend one of these little ones, it's better if a millstone hung around your neck and you're thrown into the sea. Okay. So there's another curse. Um, okay, so... Isn't it amazing, the Psalms? We've, we've been all over the place emotionally. And, <laughs> uh, and there it is. It's all there. Highs, lows. Um, that's why it's so wonderful. And I encourage you to read it. And Especially if you experience it. I, I, if I'm, especially if I'm feeling down, I go to the Psalms. Okay? Um, it's difficult to you know, feel down and then say, well, I'm going to read Leviticus. Um, <laughs> Or Rome, even Romans, you know, because it's, it's it's complex, complex thinking. Whereas this just goes straight to the heart immediately and, and can help you. And that's so it's not sinful saying, well, well, I should be reading Romans or something. God has given us this the Psalter for exactly that, that purpose. Okay, any questions or comments? Um, I 
iPhone song 73 was an example of which type of thing? Um, it is a bit of a lament because he's complaining, but then he's 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 also comes out in praise of the Lord. Okay, so he's sympathetic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the garbage can boxes. Okay. Remember, don't um. I just gave you these as examples. So you don't uh, don't try and label everything. You'll get the gist of it as you read it. Anyway, it's just helpful to know some of those terms, and you can sort of identify it. He's lamenting here, or he's asking for something, or he's repenting of something. Um, okay. Let me close this in prayer. Father, we we do praise and thank you for this amazing book. You are so gracious to us to give us this book to strengthen and encourage us to deal with reality, Father. Thank you that Christianity is not um, superficial or shallow and doesn't doesn't deal with the hard experiences of life and depression and fear and persecution and opposition. But uh, your word deals with all of these things and your word is sufficient. And so we pray that you would you'd help us to be those who, who, s- who spend time in your word, get to know the Psalms. Please, please help us to truly repent of our sins, Lord. Uh, we, we know we, we never hate our sins as we should. We pray that you would help us to do that. Help us to um, also hate your enemies, Lord. We do pray for the silencing of false teachers in our land who deceive so many who lead um, widows and uneducated and the helpless into into hell. Uh, Father, we just pray your judgment upon them. Pray you would keep us from from false teaching, Father, help us to always examine everything by the light of your word, to handle scripture faithfully. I pray you would be with us as we travel now, and how we long for that that last section of the song, the Psalter, that time of praise, when everything will praise you. We will all just worship and, and adore you and There'll be no inhibitions or uh, lack of vocabulary or lack of, of uh, purity. We'll just love you and adore you and know you perfectly. How we long for that day. How we long for the new heavens and the new earth. How we long for you to make everything right. So we do pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Pray your blessing upon this home and a speedy recovery for all those who are not well. In Jesus' name, amen.